right, welcome back to The Jig Is Up. Uh, of course, my name is Darcy, and joining me, as always, is the guy from the north, Jason. How's it going, buddy? Good, and how's the guy from the south? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Did you have a good Halloween? Yeah, not bad. It was, uh, you know, my kids are a little bit older now, so it's not the uh, the shindig it used to be, but, uh, you know, it was nice. Yeah, you don't get 75 pounds of candy that they trick-or-treated anymore? Well, you know, you know what's funny about when your kids get older? They go to the Walmart... And once they have jobs, they're like, well, holy cow, I can buy the candy I like, and it's on sale. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, that's a, actually, that's a lot better, because, yeah, you get the stuff you like uh, instead of the kind of crappy stuff. None of those strange Halloween candies we had as kids, you're like, you know, the lasted forever because you're afraid to eat them because they're so bad. Oh, I know, right? I know. I, I remember getting this bunch of stuff, and I don't even know what it was. It was like a chewy thing, but it was like hard as a rock forever. I just, yeah, threw them out every year. I was <laughs> like, not even going to bother with that. Yeah, they'll be digging those up a thousand years from now, those petrified candies, and they'll probably still be good to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. <clears throat> Wondering why we were eating this shit. <laughs> yeah, I was like, holy cow, these are amazing food. Look, they last forever. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, we got a pretty, uh, well, I guess a fairly packed show. Um we might as well just jump right into uh, the Manitoba government canceled another $20 million hydro deal with the uh, Manitoba Métis Federation. So this is on top of the $67 million deal they already canceled. Two different deals. Which begs the first question out of my mind is how the hell many deal hydro deals does these have these guys signed? <laughs> But this was well, an, yeah, no kidding. That like that that was my first thing is, you know, how many individual deals are going on in the background here that we don't hear about till either they come through or get canceled. Well, that's just it. And I I uh, I read in one article which it, I don't really like the uh, the organization that puts it out, but I did read in the one article that they pointed out the two that you know these are deals that. We're not done in the public eye. These were like backroom deals that nobody knew about. Um, so, and then this $20 million was for a million dollars a year for 20 years for basically the same thing. It was it was specific to two projects that they had, um, but it was basically you don't uh, get in our way for the next 20 years. Here's 20 million bucks. And... Uh, you know, so that's it was it was very much the similar deal as as the the sixty seven million dollar deal, only a little bit smaller, and it focused on, I think it was geographic area or two specific deals that they had or something. But again, I mean, back to that same conversation. I mean, it really makes you wonder, like, um, if that was my provincial government, I'd almost be happy about them canceling these backroom deals that weren't open to public consultation. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, from just a pure taxpayer standpoint, I mean, I could definitely see that. I mean, the truth is, is this isn't money that's being given, well, not given, but being uh, spent on the MMF to because they have some sort of land claim or, or, or right to land. This has nothing to do with constitutional rights. It has nothing to do with past wrongs that governments have done. All this is is... If you don't oppose us, we'll pay you money, and that's all. That's all. That's what it boiled down to. So, from a taxpayer standpoint, I can totally see a lot of people being quite happy with this. Uh, from a Métis standpoint, I think what's really shitty about it is that the people that are going to suffer are 
ideologically people that would benefit from this money going into programs and services. But that's if the money went into programs and services, which we don't know where this money was going anyway. Yeah, and that's the problem with backroom deals is it's negotiated and they have the expectation that this money is coming in, but it's never, because it was never negotiated up front, there's no indication of where the money would have went and had it come through. And and again, what we don't hear is any of the First Nations who these hydro projects are going to be developed in their home territories. Um, where do they fall on that? You know, Are they also being compensated? Are they for it? Are they against it? Well, that's just it, and and that was actually Chartrand's uh, response to this. Was uh, he was obviously quite upset, and one of his responses was that uh, you know they're coming for Métis now, and the next is going to be First Nations, and I I kind of suspect that was uh, you know in large part to just rile some feathers and try to get some fury built up. But the truth is, is these seem like uh, uh, I don't know they seem kind of like sleazy deals, to be honest. Uh, so I don't know if the, uh, yeah, you know the 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 provincial government in Manitoba is going to really go after First Nations after this. I mean, to some large extent, what can a provincial government really go after First Nations for? Um, because I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most of the funding and programs and services are provided through the federal government. So I know, I'm not sure how the provincial government's going to come after First Nations. So. But I, I think this is very much what we've seen with the MMF is that they try to create a very uh, aggressive um, retaliatory relationship with their provincial counterparts in that they think that this is somehow punitive uh, to Métis people like they, the settlers are out to get us again and jip uh, us out of our fair due when really this is a backroom deal that was signed behind closed doors that a... A provincial government is uh, canceling, but the reality is they made a deal and then canceled the deal that nobody knew about. So yeah. as pub- public servants in the public eye, r- really, like we said, I think that, you know, that deal should have never happened without public co- consultation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and so we're going to we're gonna touch on that side of it in a little bit, but I wanted to kind of go through some of Chartrand's responses because I think they're, I don't know, I'll see, they're quite funny. Um, but the one response he had was to actually to the Provincial Crown Services Minister, which I don't really even know what that does, but uh, um, her name was Colleen Mayer, and she was in charge of Hydro, and was uh, part of the group, or at least was in the know about the cancelling of these deals. And he uh, he said uh, that uh, you know he he said something was sinister was going on with the crown minister. Um, and the the funny thing is that she's actually Métis. <laughs> so so here again we have uh, Chartrand attacking you know another Métis really. And calling her out specifically, and I'm I'm sure it was specifically because she was Métis. And uh, her response to him was, was that while she spoke for Manitobans and all Métis, that wasn't necessarily the case when it came to Chartrand and the MMF. She went on to say, I've heard voices in our communities who they believe that the president Chartrand doesn't res- represent their views. <laughs> so <laughs> I think he got slapped down. I think she dropped the mic a bit on him on that one. <laughs> That's funny. The sinister ministers dropping the mic. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it just gets into this like 
childish. Like, I'm going to stomp my feet. And if I stomp my feet louder, then then I'll get my sucker back, you know, kind of mentality. <laughs> Throw a little temper tantrum. But, <laughs> well, but it really goes to show that the MMF is really, and their administration is really out to paint anyone who does anything is, eh, you know, they're somehow racially motivated that they're somehow discriminatory against Métis people when it really has nothing. I don't really feel it has anything to do with that. No. Yeah, I don't, I think, I don't think so either. Yeah, it, I agree with it, you. It's really hilarious that, again, you use this really aggressive, demeaning kind of language when you're really talking about what should be one, you know, state, you know, statesmanship kind of politics where you have, you know, best honor, best intent, you know, to build relationships. Yeah. With working partners, really, what it was boils down to is working partner of the federal, the provincial government in Manitoba. You think there would be, you know, at least a little more amenable language when you start calling the ministers sinisters. You know, it's like yeah. if, you're, if you started working for Disney and you're trying to make you know super villain out to get you. Well, that's just it, and and I, I, I really think, um, you know. When it comes to these kinds of deals, I, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think this has anything to do with the fact that we're it's a Métis organization. I think it has everything to do with the fact that it's a lot of money and for what? <laughs> and I think that is probably the reason that the last government got elected out. Um, and I'm not saying the last government was right or this government's right or they're wrong or these guys are wrong. I don't... That's kind of a, besides the point, but I, I'm, I'm assuming that probably it's these kinds of financial deals that probably caused the majority of the electorate that voted to vote the other guys out and vote these guys in. Um, and so, like we said at the start of this, I think it's probably going to make a lot of taxpayers happy that they canceled, well, what is now $87 million worth of payments for the next uh, 20 to 50 years. I mean, both of those deals were, it was basically 2 million a year for 20 years and then a million a year for another 30 years after that. Like that's a, I mean, that's a big commitment for a government in Canada to make, to be honest with you. Um, well, but, but if you stop for a minute, I mean, you if you listen to our last show, uh, where we talk a, a great deal about these programs and services and these kinds of funding, this is the exact example that that we warn about, you know, how how often have we talked about how one government will make a deal to Métis people uh, and promise all this funding and the next government comes in and what happens? Yeah. Poof, it's all, it's all gone. Exactly. And, and here you have it in living technicolor, you know. That we're not a bunch of crackpots or conspiracy theorists. The man, the Manitoba Métis, they sign a deal in good faith with the provincial government for these millions of dollars over time, and those guys get voted out. The new guys get voted in, and what happened to all your paperwork? Yeah, absolutely. Just got run run through to the shredder. <laughs> well, and, and and in these deals, I mean, I there's there's no deal that anybody signs where there's not a get out clause, and. Uh, from what I read in both of these deals, it was like the section two of the agreement for both of these deals, the sixty-seven million and the twenty million, was that out of the three parties involved, the government, the hydro corporation, and uh, the MMF, in all any three of those could cancel all those agreements and terminate them with thirty days written notice, and at the end of those thirty days, boom, done. Agreements are n null and void now. So 
that clause was in there when they signed it. Now, I don't know what they're spending all their professional professional fees on other than lawyers, but I would think that your lawyers would make you aware that you have a 30-day written notice clause in there. So, you know, they... Uh, on, on potentially a uh, how many million dollar deal? At 80, 80 million 87 million, yeah. Yeah, you think if you're signing an $80 million deal, you know, the 30-day return policy might <laughs> might be a little bit uh, of an eye-opener. Yeah. Well, and yeah. what's interesting when you think about that, though, uh, is let's say, you know, one of the articles I read on this pointed out that uh, five years down the road, it doesn't matter what government's in. Let's say they continued with these deals. That 30-day clause would have given the MMF the opportunity to go, you know what, it's probably better. We could probably make more money if we get out of these deals and either renegotiate them or go after it a different way. And so they could have done the exact same thing whenever they wanted. It's just that right now it's financially the best deal for them. And when the government gives them you know, written notice, they're like, oh my God, this is horrible. You hate Métis. Well, you yeah. signed a contract. The contract said... 30-day notice. <laughs> Sucks to be you. So Yeah, and that's that's but that's ex- exactly the kind of warning that we give people about these programs and service dollars that they're only as good as the government that's sitting that put them in. Absolutely. After that, all bets are off, man. Absolutely. Yeah, like all that housing, that $500 million in housing over 10 years, over divided by six agencies. Um it it's all going to be gone if the liberals don't win the next election. Or or the election after that, because it was all over 10 years. So, Oh, I, I guarantee you, I'd, I'd bet my oh, do- last gone. dollar, which is, is pretty much all I have, but <laughs> the, the the reality is is when the blue guys get in, and whether that's this election or the next election, you can kiss that money goodbye. That's all gone, yeah. And so whatever the 10-year payout plan is on that, the best you'll see is what, how much does the Liberal Party got left before the election just about two, not quite two years. Yeah, I think a year and a half-ish. A year, year and a half. So we're looking at they within their budgeted mandate, if they keep their election promises for the next election, which, I mean, oh, there's already a stretch. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're, you know, so we're looking at, out of a 10-year financial plan, we're looking at maybe six years. Yeah. Of, of funding. And I oh, I bet every dollar I had, all one of them, that uh, when the blue guys get in, you can kiss that funding goodbye. Absolutely, and and I think even when the with the liberals, uh, you know, even getting elected in the next, there's you know, there's nothing to say that they're they're going to honor that promise. So there's nothing to say that they don't go. Well, we're going to put it off. We're going to defer those payments for another year. So then, you know, like the money hasn't flowed yet. The checks haven't been made, and it was announced. I don't know what springtime was when the budget came out, and we still haven't seen the money. So I don't know. I don't know. So will will we even begin to see any of this funds that's been talked about before the election? And uh, you know, God help the the Métis people if uh, you know Justin Jesus Trudeau doesn't get in on this election. <laughs> yeah, no shit, know? eh? Yeah, because then that not none of that money will see the light of day. Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. And then, you know, when I look at these deals that they make, like, uh, of course, Chartrand's like, oh, we're going to sue the government. We're going to take you to court. And they're going to go that way. There's no doubt about it. Um, but then I had a kind of a quick look at their 
their recent court history with uh, the, the provincial government. And uh, I don't know if you remember, we did a, a show oh, back in early 20s. I don't know, maybe it was late 2016. I can't remember. It was back in 2016-ish where the there was a health program that the MMF had that was like a pilot project. And when the Pallister government came in, that was, I mean, one of the first things that got cut was that, that program. Now, the deal was with that program is uh, it was supposed to be like a six-month pilot project, and the previous government just kept funding it. They just didn't cancel it. So the MMF went another two years, I think, receiving the funding for it. But it was never meant to be funded that way. It was never supposed to be funded. And so when the, the new government cut it off, saying, well, the pilot project ended. Why are you still getting funded for a pilot project? Uh, they took him to court and they lost. And they lost on the grounds because they took him to court saying it was the honor of the crown. And they've they've dishonored the crown. They haven't upheld the honor of the crown. And they lost wholeheartedly. And the courts said, told them that this was had nothing to do with constitutional rights. It had nothing to do with indigenous rights. It was a health program that was a pilot. It well within the provincial purview to to cut. And I think that's exactly what you're going to see here. You're going to see $3 million worth of professional fees spent, and they're going to lose again. Because, I mean, unless they can prove the government didn't give them 30 days no written notice, but I think, I mean, 30 days written notice isn't a big bar to set, so I'm pretty sure they got that. <laughs> yeah. Did you get the memo? Yeah, and I think that's the real problem is, is the the language that's being used in a lot of these discussions is... On one hand, we have the colonial Canadian government that keeps talking about reconciliation and trying to make it right, and that really just means paperwork, memorandums, and budget forecasts down the future. And every time the cartel signs an agreement that goes sideways or gets cancelled, we have the language that they've somehow trampled our rights. And I think both of these are huge inaccuracies, and they're, they're really two actors on a stage shouting back and forth at each other and it's a play and it sadly it's you know it's entertaining to watch it it makes a lot of the content for our show but at the yeah. end of the day for for <laughs> all right so i don't know if there's too much more to say about the these deals with uh, the mmf that they keep you know getting canceled uh and you know i deal we haven't said like a thousand times already i don't think well that's just it right i mean we've said this on other uh, episodes uh, at the end of the day, I think the ones that lose out is uh, is the the people. I think the the people that may be on the receiving end of some of these dollars for programs and services. But uh, other than that, uh, and I'm not even confident that a lot of this money will go to programs and services. I think it goes into their general operating money. And I mean, as we've seen with all of these organizations, they love to spend money on traveling and professional fees. So. I imagine it would just go into a big pot and get stirred around, and then nobody knows really where it went. Um, it goes into the I'll sue you fund. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. I mean, the truth is, on that sixty-seven million dollar fund, uh, the MMF already received, I think, four million dollars out of that. So, where did that go? I mean, if they could, yeah, sh- I sue you fund. I sue you. Yeah, that's where it's gonna go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, I, I don't know how much more there is to say about that. And we'll see what happens, I guess, with the court cases uh, two years from now um, and see what the resolution is there. I, I mean, I'm no lawyer. I just don't see how they have much of a leg to stand on, but uh, whatever. It's fine. 
If they want to waste more money in court, that's what they'll do. It's all about the colonial court systems, right? Yep. I mean, they're the ones that almost determine Métis identity these days, so, hey, why not? Really? And, uh, I mean, I don't even know if... Does the MMF actually uh, employ Métis lawyers? Uh, you know what? I was actually looking into that. They employ... Uh, you know the lady that represented the Powleys, Jean Tillet? Tillet? I don't know how you say her name. They actually employ... One of the law firms that they routinely employ is is the one that she is uh, at the head of. Um, I can't remember the name of that one. And uh, they have a couple others that uh, are that they employ, and I don't think there's Métis lawyers there. I think they're just uh, Indigenous law uh, firms or firms that deal with Indigenous law. So uh, one of their major ones is in Vancouver. I know that. So it's not even in Manitoba. So keep it local. Woohoo! <laughs> nice to see all those uh, Métis dollars going to Métis businesses. Absolutely, especially the vast amount of those Métis dollars um, with their legal professional fees being so high. But, uh, hey, there's nothing a good lawsuit can't fix, right? Well, I guess it just goes to show. If you want to call yourself a government, you better spend like a government. Yeah, and nothing's says spending like suing everybody all constantly. It's wasting wasting more money on legal fees than you probably provide in, in most programs and services. But, hey, whatever. Um Let's not confuse the issue. That's right. And, you know, the MNC has their financials out, and that'll be next week's show, or part of next week's show, is talking about the the big the big head honcho of the entire cartel and their uh, financials, which will... I, I've already had a quick look at them, and they're <laughs> quite entertaining. So, so that'll be part of next week's show. Um, I don't think it'll be any, any surprise to anybody that regularly listens to the show, though. Uh, probably shouldn't be because I can't see it being a surprise. No, we've we've gone through the financials of other organizations within the cartel, and it's not going to be much different. I think it's uh, yeah, it's not going to be much different. So anyway, there's something to look forward to next week as we get to tell you uh, where where they're wasting all your money. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> now, as a follow up to last week's show, uh, we talked about a Halloween costume. A non-Métis fella in Edmonton who's the husband of a um, person who works for the city of Edmonton. Um, she posted online the photos of her and him, and he's dressed up as a Métis voyageur. Um, and the overwhelming response from Métis people was, eh, who really gives a shit? Uh, well, I'll tell you who gives a shit. The city of Edmonton gave a shit, um, as well as some First Nations activists and, and, thing, and people like that. So... The city of Edmonton has responded to this by producing guidelines regarding city employees and the, I believe it's in their families, but it's at least city employees and how to think about properly dressing for Halloween. <laughs> so uh, also the lady who works for the city of Edmonton who posted the photos, whose husband it was, uh, also apologized for the offense and uh, any offense given and yet no Métis really seemed to care. So I don't know if it's really that big of a story, but that's what we talked about last week. And, uh, yeah, it was, I was kind of surprised the city of Edmonton came up with some guidelines. I know the city of Calgary, I don't think, has done that. So, Well, it's not, it's all because of our show, though. That's why. Well, that's right. We, I, I like we, to think so. If we, if we hadn't covered it, it would, this wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> so there's at least two Métis people that care, and uh, yeah, two, right. two Métis people that are very happy that... 
that uh, our first uh, nation relation came to our rescue and made a big stink about it. And, uh, you know, the right thing was done at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I, I joke, I, I know there was Métis that were bothered by this. Um, however, it, it was overwhelmingly um, the, Mo- the Métis that responded on social media were like, who cares? Nobody cares. I don't care. Who cares? So it, it's one of those things like uh, I think the, the person who kind of brought this all to light was a Cree advocate named Miranda Jimmy. Um, and just to give her a plug, uh, she co-founded a group called Reconciliation and Solidarity Edmonton, or RISE for short, and uh, she called it out on Twitter, and uh, I think that's kind of where this whole story started, so hats off to her for for getting that done. Um, and good catch, and that's a good way to stay on top of it, and we always appreciate people who do that. Absolutely, because I think this plays into, I think what, what a lot of Métis people aren't, there's there's several things I think that are at play here. One is the disconnect between Métis people and their culture, their organizations, their and things like that. Um, it's seen as kind of a, eh, it doesn't really affect my day-to-day life by a lot of Métis. Um, and I think the other thing that, that comes into play here is that it, this this is part of a larger issue where if in, if some indigenous people start to allow non-indigenous to just play dress up and and you know wear their co- their their regalia or their their traditional clothing as a costume and party and get drunk in it it sets a precedent that well it must be okay for all indigenous because what 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 maybe some metis people who didn't think this was a big deal maybe don't understand is that the vast majority of non-Indigenous pan-Indigenize everybody. So to them, Métis, First Nations, Inuit, eh, what's the big difference? Um, and then to most of them as well, it's one Indigenous culture. That's it. There's one for all of this continent. And so you have to understand that if you say it's okay to dress like Métis, you're essentially saying, well, it's okay to dress like Métis, throw on a headdress and, you know, dance around like Pocahontas. It's, it's all good. And I think that's for me where the the danger of this situation comes in. But uh, I was in the vast minority, aren't we always? Well, yeah, totally. We're always in the minority. But <laughs> but like you said, it's because of our podcast that this came up. No, I'm just, um, I, I I did want to quote uh, Miranda Jimmy, and on Twitter she said, uh, "Unless we point it out, when we're offended by other people's choice in costume, then the conversation can't happen." If we just allow it to happen, then no one will really learn. And I thought that was a really good comment to make because of that last little statement of what no one will really learn. Nobody even really knew that this was a Métis outfit that this dude was wearing. Uh, And we talked about this on the show before, about connection of voyageur to Métis and education. And I'm pretty sure it was you, Jason, that pointed out the importance of this and how, you know, this is a clear indicator of how poorly educated Canadians are when it comes to their own history and the history of Métis people. Um, and I think her comment there it just kind of reiterated that where let's take this as a learning opportunity, folks. We don't We don't necessarily have to be upset about it, but let's take this as a learning opportunity to say, hey, look, you know, we don't, we're not really keen on you dressing up as like Métis, but uh, if as long as you kind of understand who Métis people are and the history and a bit of the culture and, 
then okay. Then maybe maybe it's okay then. I, I still don't think it's okay, but maybe it's okay. But to just not even use this as an opportunity to teach people about Métis, I think it's, I think it's another missed opportunity. But this is on the cultural side of things, and I don't think these organizations care that much about culture. So, well, I, I don't think. Let's face it. Let's really be real honest and be real blunt. I think the majority of Métis people don't care. Yeah. If it doesn't directly impact them, their hunting rights, access to land, or a program and services. Uh, it's like we talked about on last show. I don't think Métis people really care by far and large. Yes. Um, I, I think First Nations people care a lot more because, like you said, this directly impacts the fact that it's just pan-Indigenous everything. And um, sadly, Métis people are being uh, going to be used, I think, in a, another divide-and-conquer situation when it comes to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I do think there's a lot of Métis out there that are connected to their culture, are very in touch with it. and But the, the reality is, is they are the minority of Métis people. And so... Well, and, and even, even if they are the majority, it's the silent majority. Exactly. It's the, disen- it's the disengaged majority. And so we have, you know, when we have the vocal part uh, through the cartels and the rest of them, they, when they don't say anything, when they don't speak up, you're not going to see the disengaged. You know, where yep. are the uh, 30,000 Métis Nation members strong uh, speaking to these issues? Well, crickets. Exactly. And so when it comes even the larger part in the province of Alberta, we have 114,000 people who uh, identify as Métis. And uh, again, where are, are all those voices? So sure, I think there's people out there who are connected to their culture. There's people who are proud to be Métis. And I think th- that goes without saying. The problem is, when push comes to shove, uh, when we're engaging our settler, uh, you know, co-inhabitors co- co- of the land. <laughs> yeah. Um, the reality is, is they're nowhere to be found and they're nowhere to be heard. Yes. Yeah. And and that's the real the real problem that Métis people have. And you really see how that's contrasted uh, in comparison with uh, for our First Nations relations, who seem to be a lot more engaged and a lot more vocal about the protection of, uh, you know, indigenous proprietary items such as clothing. Absolutely. And, I mean, you look at, um, you know, even if there is Métis that are wholeheartedly engaged and and are very strong advocates for their culture, they're one voice. They're, they're, even if there's 10 of them, 100 of them, the truth is is their organizations that we call the cartel don't care and don't about this and don't do anything about it. So is the government going to listen to a hundred voices? Are they going to do anything? Why would they care? Um, is is the news media? Is anybody going to listen to a random hundred people in a province? Probably not. Now, if you had in this in our province, the Métis Nation of Alberta, to step up and say, "Hey, City of Edmonton, remember when we signed all those MOUs for memorandums of understanding?" about, you know, implementing Métis cultural understandings and stuff, here's a great opportunity to teach, to talk to, to you about what are the what is the city of Edmonton doing with its civic employees to teach Indigenous culture? How can we be part of that? And this, to me, is where I think it's a huge missed opportunity on, a, on an organizational level, is because if, if, if something was to happen like this with First Nations... There would be First Nations groups willing to stand up and say, hey, City of Edmonton, we would be happy to work with you to train your city employees to understand 
why this is not okay. Maintain Nation of Alberta, like you said, crickets. And so Manitoba Maintain Federation, the, crickets. Everywhere, crickets. But at the same time, I don't want to be discouraging. I think if we had 100 people who banded together, we can make a lot of difference on these issues. We have the, like never before, we have the power of social media on our side to True. be able to to coalesce these things to create a voice and create public awareness. But yeah. again, you know, our show has been on the air for, you know, almost uh, staring down the barrel of two years. And uh, we have yet to see 100 uh, people coalesce into any kind of a counter voice. Well, absolutely. And, and again, when we go back to the fact that it was, uh, it was a First Nation person that brought this to light. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of sad in a lot of ways um, just because I think there's so many missed opportunities here. There's so much um, apathy or, or disconnect. Um, and, you know, honestly, I think a lot of it, too, comes from from years and years and years and years of, you know, what's the point of continuing to fight this stuff? I mean, I think a lot of, in a lot of cases, I think a lot of people are just kind of fed up. They're like, eh, whatever. Nothing's going to change. So I'm just going to go to work, and I'm going to come home, and I'm going to take care of my family. And I don't give a crap about the rest of this stuff. You guys can continue to fight and battle and, and berate each other. I'm just going to go over here and do my thing. And I think that's a sad statement as well on where where a lot of people are within the nation. Like you said, there's 30-some thousand Métis Nation of Alberta members, and you can't even get more than 10% to go to vote, let alone, you know, get active on something like this. So... Well, and that, and that really boils down to it. I think Métis people have been sidelined by the settler government for so long yeah and then compounded by the fact that they've been sidelined again by their own organization that uh you know since the 1930s it's been an ever push to you know again put metis people back on the road road allowance and i think the reality is is you're you're exactly right people are more concerned with trying to eke out an existence on that road allowance than they are about standing up for what is intrinsically their right yes you know, and you and I have seen that and encountered that, you know, extensively as we've traveled, you know, uh, and uh, seen people and talked to people. That uh, that's exactly how it is. You know, yeah, we we could do a lot of change and bring in a lot of uh, narrative change to this conversation if we had 100 people who would stand up and say they've had enough of living on the roadside. Absolutely, and I, you know, I think the uh, this past Métis Nation of Alberta election was a great example of exactly that where. Um, you have the Métis Nation of Alberta who wouldn't allow some of its members to vote because they had an outdated card. Um, so you're you're cutting down on your vote right there. So you're disengaging people because then people are like, well, I'm not going to spend another 60 bucks to get a new card so I can vote once every four years. Like, that's, that's, really? Um, and then I got to do all this paperwork and resubmit my genealogical documents. And if there's one thing missing, then I'm out. And most most people are going to go, eh, I don't really care. But on the flip side, when they go to the government for funding, they go, hey, look, we have 36,000 members. Only, I don't know, 10,000 of them got their new cards and can vote. But we got 36,000 members, so give us more money. And I just, I find it hilarious. And I think it, you know... Like you said, it's this. The settler government has sidelined us, and now our these own cartel organizations are sidelining their own people and saying, 
Oh, you have the old card. You're not mainty enough. Uh, go away until you get a new card. Um, so what's what's the point? Why would I even bother? And I think that's where a lot of people are at. It's sad. Yeah, at the end of the day, but that's that's what I mean. I, mean, I think we could give a big change could happen, and it's yeah. still possible. We just, we just need people to say that they've had enough of the status quo. They've had enough of sitting on the roadside, and they want to make a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I know at least here in Alberta and clearly in Manitoba where, you know, you have the the minister, one of the ministers saying that, uh, you know, Chartrand doesn't represent all Métis. Uh, you had our provincial government out here in Alberta saying the same thing about a year ago uh, in Conklin is that, uh, you know, if you want harvesting rights, you can get them. You don't need to be a, Man- a Métis Nation member to get harvesting rights as a Métis person. You, They already have paperwork. You can just go to the... Um, you know, uh, park fish and wildlife office and fill out the paperwork. It's a bit of a pain in the ass, but you can do it without being a Métis Nation of Alberta member. And I think people need to understand that these organizations are that they're while they call themselves governments and they use these big terms like we've talked about dozens of times before, they're just simply not. And there is you can go create your own alternative. That's okay too, and you're still Métis. You still have rights, and the government still has to has to at some point listen to you, or talk to you. So, but eh, we'll see. We'll see if if people. I don't think this will be the thing that motivates them to get get up and get going. But uh, <laughs> I would love to see that. I really would. Me too. That's why we did. It. We started all this business. So yeah, yeah. Thanks for change. Absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah, that's where we did all this stuff is to try to change the, the status quo, right? So, but it is definitely an uphill battle. That's for sure. <laughs> Trying to re- re-engage people is an uphill battle. Well, especially when we all got bills to pay. Well, that's just it, right? I mean, mo- most of us are doing this as a part-time volunteer gig. And, uh, you know, then you look at the Chartrands and the you know, Chartiers and the, the the Madame President here in Alberta who have built up quite a nice pension and have made several hundred thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years off Métis funding. It's great that they can do it full-time and get paid, but most of us it's volunteer and it's, it's non-paying, and I think that's too what burns a lot of people out. Absolutely. So... But uh, this also, I kind of want to lead into another topic um, when we talk about activists and grassroots people. Um, I'm going to, I want to touch on, well, I guess you're involved in this too, Jason, so you can't get out of it. But uh, I I wanted to kind of bring up the fact that APTN has been spotlighting a certain non-Indigenous quote-unquote expert on Métis identity lately and He's kind of like Voldemort. He shall remain remain nameless. But uh, I've what I found interesting is not the East is evil propaganda that he is spouting because that's kind of par for the course. What I'm what bothers me about this is APTN is supposed to be the Aboriginal people's television network, and they have a non-Indigenous man who they're giving airtime to. They're giving graphics time to on social media. They're putting out social media posts with his quotes and a picture of him. And it's all this glorious stuff. And 
where's the where where have they done this for Métis elders? People who actually grew up Métis, who've lived Métis, and haven't read about it in a colonially written book in a colonial uh, educational institution. Where where are those people getting this airtime? Um, I know I have a wonderful well, elder here in Calgary that I would love to see get that much airtime in in APTN. Well, even for the sake of argument, um, I have two huge problems with this. Um, one is APTN, again, by definition, is supposed to be a bi-Indigenous, four-Indigenous network. That's my understanding. Yes. And so to have a non, you know, a person who proclaims to be non-Indigenous um, highlighted on a contentious issue in yep. among Métis people themselves. Yep. Um, you know, it seems very, very much a faux pas in policies to me uh, on the APTN's part. Yeah. And the reason, I, the reason I say that is if we were talking about uh, First Nations identity and First Nations rights and First Nations membership in bands and, you know... Um, you know, chief and council kind of issues for First Nations communities, I guarantee you they're not going to have our favorite buffalo robe-wearing guy on there to do that. Yeah. Can't remember his name right now. What's that dork's name? Oh, I can't remember either, but... Um, yeah. You know what I mean, though. That guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're not going to get him on there talking about the validity or, or non-validity of... First Nation issues. Yes. And yet this is exactly the equivalent of what's going on on the topics of Métis identity. You yes. know, and that really drives me around the bend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that's always driven me crazy about this specific individual. Um, is that, the you know, they're selling books. They're getting all this press and publicity. But the truth of the matter is, is you know, it's funny because they're making this argument that all these Eastern people you know, quote-unquote, popping up all of a sudden are are just white people, white settlers trying to cash in. Well, so they're trying to kind of make... Um, but they're, the, that same thing that they're, they're arguing is exactly what this person is doing. They're a non... I, they don't self-identify as Indigenous in any way. Um, but he's trying to cash in on on this exact issue. He's non-Indigenous trying to cash in on an Indigenous issue. And, you know, I, I think it's hypocritical at the very least, but what what I, I think is very disheartening with APTN is that they're so willing to give him airtime. And yet, grassroots people, grassroots activists, are not getting this airtime. Um, well, but, but even to stay within the context, like for me personally, um, if they want to voice that, point of view that's fine there are academics that are Métis yes who could adequately fill that airtime absolutely you know I don't have to agree with with the APTN's position that they want to take about Métis identity in the east yeah. versus west and all that kind of stuff I don't have to agree with it what I what I don't like is there are qualified in indigenous Métis people who have the same point of view as this person who's non-indigenous so if yes. that's the agenda they want to push on their show, all the power to you. Do it with indigenous people. Absolutely. And if you can't get if you can't get an indigenous person on there to talk about this issue, 
then maybe you should let it go. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you can't, then it's it's clearly not a story. Um, you know, if there's not an indigenous uh, person, and I know there are several with uh, undergraduate and graduate and PhD degrees who definitely agree with this uh, settler on how Métis identity politics work. Yep. You know, and if you can't get them on the show, well, maybe they don't want to talk about it. And if they don't want to talk about it, why does APTN want to talk about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've just, I've, uh, I've heard actually other people, not uh, outside of myself and, and outside of Jason, who... who <laughs> there's more than us. Yeah, there is more than us. And wow. I've, I've actually, and even I've heard a few, a couple of First Nations people say this, where they don't understand why this guy's getting airtime when Indigenous people should be getting that airtime. And like you said, whether, whether it's this same message, use Indigenous people. Whether it's a different message, use Indigenous people. If you can't find somebody to fill this spot with this message, then fill that spot with some other message, but keep it Indigenous. And, you know, I think uh, what, I, what I heard uh, another First Nation person was saying was how, how discouraging it is when there's a lot of, of Indigenous people, you know, and I'm going to say at the grassroots level, but I think that's almost cliche, but there's a lot of Indigenous people who are fighting really hard on a voluntary basis day by day to to make their community better make their people better make their situation better make make governments more aware of of indigenous issues whatever it is but they're fighting on a daily basis and they aren't getting the press they're not on aptm and these are people that are you know in some cases dealing with life and death issues within their communities within their people and yet, AP10 is going to spotlight a non-Indigenous man to talk about Indigenous identity because he's some sort of expert? Like, it's it just... It, it's foul-smelling right from the get-go. <laughs> so. Well, and I... Yeah, and I don't, I don't like it. I think that AP10 should know better. At the very point, um, spaces should be going to Indigenous people. Like Absolutely. You said. And... And that was, you know, my understanding is what that's what the APTN is for. You know, we have so few opportunities to hear authentic Indigenous voices in this country that, you know, aren't being drowned out by the mass media of settler society, you know. And so when you turn on APTN and there is a non-Indigenous person on an Indigenous network talking about Indigenous identity, you know, it's like, Wow, what a facepalm moment. Yeah. Like, I totally I totally would get why the, this dude would be on the CBC or CTV or Global or anything like that. I totally get that. He's out there trying to sell books and, and get his name in the papers and, and really become a, you know, the next whatever. I don't know. He wants to get his name in the history books um, and get a tenor position or something, I guess. I don't know. But I totally get that on non-Indigenous networks. They want to have him on CBC and stuff. Hey, man, I, I don't agree with it still, but it's the CBC. They're non-Indigenous. That's fine. But yeah, like you said, this is APTM. This is supposed to be where Indigenous people can turn to to feel, in, at least to feel like they're getting news from their own people. And it's it's just disingenuous to, to have this non-Indigenous dude up there spouting off. And, 
I don't know. I I know a lot of people have sent emails to APTN and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of people have commented on their social media, which I don't think really does much of anything um, because it just leads to fighting and bickering. But the truth is, is like you said, whether you like the message or not, at least have an Indigenous person fill this spot. Um, but what I what 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 bothers me about this too is that they're not turning to Métis people who have lived, were born, lived, and and are still living Métis. They're turning to colonial educated people in from colonial institutions who've read all about being Métis in a book. And those are the Métis experts. So they've they've essentially signed on to replace any type of oral traditions within the Métis community. They've replaced Métis elders with academics because those are the people that really know Métis identity. Not the people that were taught it from their great grandfather or from their grandfather who taught was taught from their great grandfather who was taught, you know, like none of that matters anymore. And I think that's a clear sign that that doesn't matter within the Métis community. It's all about colonial paperwork. Well, and even if that was true, uh, that was true. The the bigger problem I still have is when you are hosting a network and you have a show and you have the opportunity to post contentious issues like identity, there are people who disagree with that point of view. Yep. And they, they also hold PhDs and they've also written books and are continuing to write a book that counters that position. Yes. And what bothers me from the ATPN network, the network's position is that they've sided, they've taken a side. So they instead have. of being an instead of being an unbiased reporting journalistic thing that's providing voice for Métis people to hear both sides of a story from from both kinds of experts, if they wanted to call them that, you know, people with degrees who wrote in books on this topic, instead of getting a balanced point of view, an informative point of view, they've, like we just said, brought in a non-Indigenous person with a singular point of view, and only that point of view, and I think that's. In as indigenous people, we should expect better. We should demand better of a network that's supposed to represent us and our voices. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's where I, I know I've talked to quite a few Métis who absolutely have turned away from APTN long ago because a there's not much for Métis content on there to begin with, and now it's just the only Métis content is going to be this guy. Well, there's no point in watching it. Why would Métis people be interested in watching that? Other than if there's a story about Inuit or First Nation that they want to watch or, or 60 Scoop or something. But really, if you're looking for Métis content, it's not going to be on APTN. So it's... Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad that it's the only time that the Métis uh, bother to get any airtime on the network is to, to actually uh, bash identity and identity issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's... Uh, yeah, that was my whole thing I wanted to say about APTN was... It's just very disappointing, um, and I don't even want to debate the, the the East versus West. It was just a matter of, I, I think, this dude taking up space that Indigenous people should be occupying is just another example of uh, colonial bullshit, and APTN seems to be towing the line now. So, because they... I think, honestly, because they know that this is going to sell, you know, they're going to get people watching, it's going to be controversial and heated at some point on social media. So the story is going to get shared lots. So it's kind of like a clickbait article, only it's on TV. <laughs> so uh, it's too bad. Yeah. 
a failure all the way around failure to rep let you know fail it's a failure like you said to to let indigenous people have a, a voice and a platform and it's a, a failure on any kind of real journalism absolutely absolutely i like that point you made too about the the um, balance it's totally not balanced um but yeah so uh that's all i had for tonight i don't know if you had anything special to add jason no, not specifically. No, I think, uh, uh, like I said, I'm working on next week's show already, which will start off probably with the uh, MNC's 2018 financials. Um, it okay. should be a humdinger because I bet you they got more money than last year. I think they might have, but I don't want I don't want to tip our hat too soon. Let's let's leave some mystery. No spoilers. <laughs> That's right. Even though they're available publicly online on their website. Um, so. <laughs> So stay but tuned. if you remember, if you didn't hear from us, that's right. It's not accurate. That's right. Yeah, you definitely need to tune in to get our breakdown of it. That's that's the important part. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight. I hope you guys uh, continue to enjoy the shows coming up. Um, if you want to leave us a note, uh, it's uh, metipodcast at gmail dot com, and uh, you can find us on social media as well. I think we're on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, so find us there as well if you want. And, of course, hit up our Patreon account if you want to uh, show some love for the show. But uh, I think... Buy us some tea and bannock. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. But I guess uh, until next week, I think for Jason and I, I think uh, that's it. The jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more.